Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Can anyone tell me who that is? You can go ahead and shout it out, whoever knows. Dr. Strange Glove, that is correct. Now, he's interesting, you know, except even besides the fact that he looks so weird, is that his um, hand, the whole idea behind the show is that his hand kind of had a mind of its own. It did whatever it wanted, and at times he was not in charge of it. He couldn't um, directly control his hand. You know, we look at that and we think, man, that's crazy, but actually that actually happens. Like seriously, um, it's called alien hand syndrome. I did not make that up. I promise you, check this video out. I'll show you. Imagine having a part of your body that has a will of its own, not knowing what it's going to do next, causing you embarrassment or, worse still, physical harm. For people like Giuseppina, this is no mystery condition. Giuseppina suffers from a rare disorder known as alien hand syndrome. She's one of only a few patients around the world who, for one reason or another, end up with a hand that quite literally has a will of its own. She lives in Italy with her husband, John Carlos. They lived a normal, happy life together with their family. Until one day, 14 years ago, Giuseppina suffered a stroke, which was to have a devastating effect on their lives. I mean, it's kind of crazy that that could happen, right? Like, when you start looking it up, Literally, like, people, like, will wake up with their hand choking them, and they can't even control it. And it's like, your hand's not supposed to do that, you know? It's like, that's not its part it's supposed to play in your body. Like, you look at your hand, and you're supposed to be able to control it. It's your hand, right? That's the whole point. And yet, there's this syndrome. No, it's interesting because I, I wonder sometimes if there's an alien hand syndrome within the church. You know, we're in a series called Grace Anatomy. Pastor Gill introduced it. And the entire idea behind this series is that we are a body, the body of Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul, one of the earlier, early pioneers of Christianity, said in a letter to a church in Corinth chapter 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says that now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And he was writing this letter to this church, a Corinthian church, but if he was writing the letter to us today, he would say the same thing. You're all part of the body of Christ. But perhaps we have some alien hands, you know? Outside, doing their own thing, having their own will outside of the control of the head, who's Christ. Pastor Gill talked about that last week. I, if you weren't here, I hope you can go back and check it out. See, the church is the body of Christ. And just like our bodies are the physical structure that houses our souls, intricately t- connected every part of the body together under the control of the mind, the soul. So the body of Christ is the physical structure, the representation of Jesus Christ on earth 
where the Holy Spirit dwells, inhabited by his very spirit, the Holy Spirit. You know, each of us has a part that we play in this body. And if each of us has a part, and if each of us submits and plays that part, then all of us get to play a part in what God's doing. By show of hands, how many guys have been in a play ever in your life? You know? Cool. I was in one once, and it was really bad. I'm not going to go back there. It's a bad memory, all right? Um, I forgot my line, of course. Now, in a play, everyone's got a part, right? If you're in Romeo and Juliet, and you're watching that, and then Juliet goes rogue and starts to say whatever she wants, she's not playing her part. Things get weird quick, you know? I was a football player. Last service, I said I am a football player. I am not anymore. That would hurt way too bad to do that. I was a football player in high school. And we all um, had to know our parts whenever the play was called. And so we'd get down. I was a tight end. And so I get down. I said, and I was like, Ugh. and then it's just much harder than it was then. And it's like, and I said, Hoik! and then if you forgot where you were going to block, it got really awkward really quick. Because if I went this way when I was supposed to go this way, and that happened more than once, uh, vivid memories, and, and I go this way and I hit someone hard, but the problem is they're on my team. And I knock them over and then the middle linebacker, you know, you know, lunges over us and crushes the quarterback right before he throws the ball. And then the quarterback wakes up, you know, wakes up from his yes, coma and looks at me and, and with fire in his eyes. Why? Because I had a part that I was supposed to play, but then I didn't play my part. And in order for the team to win, everyone's kind of got to play their part. And what I would talk to you about today is that that's the case with the church. We focused on a few different areas over the past few weeks, but I want to focus in today on one particular concept. And the concept is this, that each of us have a specific part to play. To play in the mission of God. Not just in the world at large, which of course we play a part in that, but even more specifically, drilling down even more specifically in our lives, throughout our lives, and even more specific here at Grace Crossing Church. If we are followers of Christ, disciples of Jesus, what that means is that we are part of his body. We are supposed to submit ourselves under the control of his Holy Spirit. And as we do that, God brings all of us together. We each play our individual parts as the body of Christ moves forward, accomplishing the mission of God in Beaver Creek. We all have a part to play in this mission. And I want to focus in on one verse that really kind of encapsulates 
connects this for us. It really defines it for us. And it's in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. And it says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now if you were to go and look up the word manifestation in an English dictionary, what you'd see is that means a revealing of something. Something that was hidden, maybe, and now it's revealed. It's made concrete, real, physical, understandable, there. When you actually look at the word in the Greek that's behind this, this, that this word translates, you see that it's this idea of something, again, that was hidden, but now is revealed, made known, and able to be seen. And so what Paul is essentially saying in some ways, yes, we are like the body of Christ. And when we, the Spirit comes into us to actually have each of us play our individual roles, which begins to reveal the whole body. And so if one part isn't doing its part, then there is something missing. Something not visible about the nature of God about his character, about his plan, about his mission, about his love for us in this world. It's like a puzzle, and each of us are a piece of this puzzle. And as you begin to put it together, you actually start to see the whole picture of what God is doing. And so here at Grace Crossing, God has a puzzle. He's defined it. He knows it. He's got a picture. He's got a mission. He's got a place that he wants this church to move forward. And those he has called and brought that are disciples of Jesus Christ, they are a part of this body that begins to piece together the picture so that we can see it. But when we have one alien hand here, and I don't know if they're alien feet or not, but if there's an alien foot over here, right, or whatever it is, so then we start missing essential elements. And if you get enough of those elements missing, you start to get a distorted picture. You get a picture that isn't clear. It's not what it's supposed to be. And so each of us play a part. We're a manifestation the Holy Spirit gives to reveal his will and his mission in this place. If you notice, it's for the common good. So what that means is that it's actually for everyone's benefit, especially within the body. As we come together and we play our part, then the body of Christ gets built up in two ways. The first way it gets built up is in maturity. The actual different members of the body of Christ, and as we look around, we, if we could see in everyone's heart and know who has made a genuine confession, really loves Jesus, then we would be, know that we are intricately and intimately and spiritually tied to those individuals. And as we play our part, then they get built up. And then we get built up and strengthened and matured. And so the body of Christ gets built up. It becomes mature. It gets some of those muscles that have been, you know, atrophied and weak and they get strong. And then it can begin, the body of Christ can begin to do its mission and start accomplishing things and building up the body of Christ by reaching outside of the body of Christ and bringing those that God wants into his kingdom here. 
And each of us plays a part when we all do what we're supposed to do. See, every single one of us has a unique gifting from God. We are truly unique. It happens when we're born. Our brains have the same basic architecture, but yet at the same time, as we move forward physically, our brains change. Your brain is not identical to anyone else's brain in this entire world. See, you are unique in your experiences. You are the only one who has lived your exact life. You are unique in your skills and your talents and your abilities. You're unique in your passions. You're unique in your relationships. If you were to put yourself in the center of a concentric circle, and I've talked about this before, but it's an important illustration. When you're in the center of this concentric circle, as you move out, if you can think moving out, that's your level of influence and the people that are closest to you, you have certain people within your inner circle that are unique to you. And as you move out, the combination of relationships, you can start to see how unique you truly are. Sure, there's overlap, right? There's overlap. Sure, some people have the same gifts you do. Some people have the same passions that you do. There are some levels of overlap, but no one, no one has the unique set of experiences, relationships, influence, power, resources, passions and relationship with Christ that you do. And what happens as they come together, that creates you. And I'm not you and you're not me, but we play a part in what God is doing. And if we can get this into our minds, it changes everything. Because God didn't just make you to wander through this world. He made you to have purpose and to use your specific gifts, talents, relationships, resources, and abilities to expand the kingdom of God by being a part of his body that is doing it. You know, it might look something like this. Say you have a friend at work. You just started to connect with him, and you guys started playing golf together. I'm a terrible golfer, but let's just pretend. I don't know. <laughs> All right? You love playing golf. You're out there on the green, and you just kind of start to connect with this guy. As you start to connect with them, you meet with them more often. You guys just go out and hang out, and he starts kind of telling you about what's going on in his life, and you connect with some of the things that he's saying. Like he's got a son in college and the son's making some crazy choices. And you get that. You remember when your daughter was in high school making crazy choices. And you connect with that. He starts talking about his relationship with his mom and how it was pretty, you know, strained and strained now. And he's trying to wrestle through it. He's trying to understand how to move forward in his life and his relationship. And he's kind of like, ah, just, I don't even want to put the effort in anymore. And you can connect with that because uh, you've had those kind of strains in your relationships. And you find yourself thinking about this person, your friend. And you'll be driving home and they'll come to your mind. And you just feel like you should pray for them. So you start praying for them. 
then you start kind of getting a burden for him in your heart. Like, man, I don't know, this isn't beyond just like, hey, this is a cool guy that I want to hang out with and be friends with. No, no, there's something more here. I think God might be doing something. He might be up to something here. And as you start to pray about him more, one day you kind of get this, you know, stroke of insight where there's these connections made in your mind. That, you know, the issues that has had, he had with his mother and the criticism, the lack of acceptance that she had for him, this carried forward into his life. It is now affecting his relationship with his wife today and his relationship with the kids and the relationship in his concentric circle, the inner circle there. And you just get hit with this. He didn't talk to you about that. He didn't tell you that was the case. You just get hit with it. And you know that God wants you to talk to him. You just get this sense inside and you know it's true and the conviction grows and grows and grows. And finally, you're like, man, I got to do something with this. I can't just let it sit here. So you invite the guy out to coffee. You meet with him. You talk with him and say, hey, I got to tell you something. I really feel like God wants me to tell you something. Are you open to hearing it? Kind of awkwardly, they say yes. And then you proceed to talk about the connections you feel like God has put there in your mind for this person. And as you speak, tears begin to form in his eyes. When you ask why, he says, about a week ago, and I got in a huge fight with my wife. And I knew that I was treating her the way my mom had treated me. And I was bitter and angry. And I've started to really allow a, a, a um, wall to be built up between us. And it's exactly what happened. And I just was so mad at myself and so disgusted. And I just thought about God. I knew you went to church. And I just thought, man, I'm going to give this a try. I'll just pray. Likely nothing will happen, but I'll pray. He prays. Week later, you meet me and you have this conversation. And then that person, your friend, is now open to coming to Grace Crossing and entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, God will use your unique relationships to accomplish his purpose that nobody else could do. That's why he has you. He'll use your influence and your power, your experiences to connect with people and make a difference in their lives. Reminds me of Ben. A man I met last September. I was at the gym. I didn't really want to talk to him because I don't like talking to people at the gym. And I'm sitting there, though, and I just feel this prompting, man, I should really, I should really just talk to the guy. We start talking, come to find out Ben's dad had passed away the previous September. He was really in a state of depression. He didn't work out like he used to. Things weren't, uh, you know, he wasn't the same And God prompted my heart. We had been going through emotionally healthy spirituality. I was thinking even about grieving and how I had to grieve when we lost Bethany three years ago. And I connected to his story. He connected to my story. And Ben still, when I see him, we talk back and forth. I'm telling him, I'm praying for him. We talk about stuff. And still now, he says, I don't know what in the world happened in that conversation, but I can't get it out of my mind. And all because um, I decided not to ignore the prompting in my heart.
See, God will take your story, your strengths, your talents, your gifts, your relationships, and your relationship with him, the thing and things that make you unique from everyone else, and he will use that to grow his church, to build up his body, to grow his church. And what this means is that we have to get to know ourselves. See, I encourage you to start understanding who you really are. Maybe you need to go back and do one of those Myers-Briggs assessments. Or maybe you need to start getting feedback from people in your life and just say, hey, how do you experience me in the different situations? What do you think? Who do you see I am? Maybe it means you have to start writing down significant experiences in your life and going back to them and interpreting them not in light of how terrible they were or how you wish that never happened, but asking the question, God, why did this happen? What are you doing in this? Who are you taking me to that this will connect with? Why have you allowed this? Because you don't waste experiences. Everything is purposeful with you. So God, give me instruction. Help me know how the experiences of my life, the things that made me unique and different, how they will be used for your kingdom. Maybe it means making a list of the people within your concentric circles and asking a question, God, how can I help them know you? Get closer to you. What can I do? And we got to get to know ourselves. Because God has created us unique. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, he says, God has put all the parts of our body together in the way that he decided is best. See, God is sovereign in this. That means he's in all control. He's not making mistakes. The experiences and talents and, and, and the sorrows and the joys and the place that you went to school and the people that you got, came to know and, and the ways in which you have experienced God and others, he's going to take that and use it to give you a unique ministry and service to him that nobody else can do. And I really just, I have to say this for a moment. In my short time as a full-time minister, I think more than anything I have noticed and something that grieves my heart more than anything is that so many believers who know Jesus, love him, um, they sit on the sidelines. Actually, even more than that, they're in the bleachers. They treat it like a spectator sport. I get to watch and be entertained as the players play. And football is a spectator sport. Discipleship is not. God does not want you on the sidelines. He wants you in the game. He's equipped you for the game. He's going to help you and carry you in your weakness. You are part of God's demonstration. 
his manifestation, the picture he's painting for what God is doing here at Grace Crossing Church. And I'm not saying this for my benefit, and I'm not saying this for the pastor's benefit. I'm saying this for your benefit because I'm going to be gone in a year, and I would be remiss if I didn't let you guys know how amazing and truly unique this church is. It is the only church that I've ever been to that I could be completely honest I grew up in church. This isn't new for me. I've seen the fakeness. I've seen people get hurt. That's not Jesus. This is a good place, a good church with good leadership. God has not brought you in here to be a spectator, to sit idly by while everyone else does the work. No, God has brought you here, your unique makeup, your unique experiences to build his church. And if you are at Grace Crossing Church and this is the place that God has brought you and has settled you in here and you need to be going to the Holy Spirit to, to bring that out, but if that's where this is, then God, that's God's invitation to go all in. Half-hearted discipleship is kind of an oxymoron. Nowhere is it found in the Bible. He's made us unique. So why do we do this? I mean, why should we go through the effort? Even beyond just what I've said, why, what, what's the motivation? Well, I think, honestly, there are two big reasons. And I think we can find them by taking a step out of 1 Corinthians and going to the Gospels. There's this amazing parable that Jesus tells about three individuals and a master, and the master leaves and, and gives them, leaves them with large investments of money. He gives one five talents, bags of gold, you could say, another one two talents, and he gives one of them one talent. He gives all three of them large investments, though even the one talent was a large investment. And in that time, when a master or uh, someone who was wealthy would leave, they'd leave accountants, people who would take uh, their investments, their, what they owned, and they would invest them. That was the expectation, that they would go and invest them and make a profit from them for that master. And Jesus tells this parable. And the guy with five talents, he doubles. The guy with two talents, he doubles the investment. And then he comes to the guy with one talent, and he had buried the investment instead, had not used it. Jesus records what he says to the master in Matthew 25, 24 through 25. It says, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man and harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Well, that phrase, here's what belongs to you, in that culture, this was essentially saying, I'm wiping my hands clean of all responsibility for what you have given me. Take it. I don't want it. And the master responds to him, you wicked, lazy servant. It's in verses 26 and 27. So you knew I harvest where I have not gathered 
and I have not scattered seed, well, then you should have put my money on deposit so that when I return, I could get interest. And he continues and says, so take the bag of gold from him, the one with one, and give it to the one who has 10. Forever has will be given more, and they'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw the worthless servant outside in the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we can sit there and say, man, Jesus, that's pretty harsh. But hidden in this is is some serious motivation for us. The first is that we are going to be held accountable for what God has given to us. He has given an investment, precious investment. And we are going to be held accountable. He has left and he will return. Jesus is the master and the servant and the story. He will come back and he is going to check up on the investment that he made. But what's amazing is when you actually start to look at the master's character, he is not being cruel at all. Number one, he already gave to them according to their ability. When you go look back, he wasn't giving the man more than he could handle. He was giving him exactly what he could handle. He knew that if this person would take it and invest it, it would have made a profit. He knew, he, he had thought about it. He had designed this investment specifically for this servant and he gave it to the servant, a large investment, one that would give him honor, one that would give this servant value, but the servant actually just buried it. He could have, it would have been as easy to take it to a banker. He wanted to wipe his hands clean of it out of fear. But even more importantly, and this is the truly motivating part, is that this servant, unlike the other two, did not know his master. He didn't understand his character. He ignored the fact that the master had specifically made this investment for him, out of grace had given to him, wanting to give him opportunity to invest it wisely, knowing that as he invested it, he would make a profit. Everything within that story points to that. And yet, what does he do? Out of fear, but even more deeply, out of a lack of knowledge and out of a selfish preservation, this servant wastes the master's investment. It wasn't that he made a mistake and it wasn't that it was too hard. No, he intentionally wiped his hands clean of what he had been given because he didn't know his master. Because if he knew his master, he would have known that his master is a gracious man, that his master doesn't give something that someone can't handle. He would have known that his master would return and that he would give him far more than he had even invested. The reality is that it was a failure of knowledge and trust and relationship with that Master, and I wonder at times if the reason that we won't step in in faith and the reason that we won't um, have that bold conversation with our dad or with our friend or the reason that we won't go and get counseling or the reason that we won't start to deal with our addictions or the reason that we won't really start to understand ourselves and open ourselves up to be used by God in whatever way he wants is not because we're afraid. It's not because we um, don't know what's gonna happen but it's not because of the certainty. It's because we don't know the person who has given us the investment we have and we don't trust them. Because as you take a step out in faith, Jesus is present there in that. 
He's not giving you more than you can handle. He knows exactly what he wants. And he gave it to you for a reason. We all play a part in this. And when we each play our part, then we all get a part to play. Marriage is restored, addictions broken, people we love and value spending eternity with us because we're listening to God. We're growing, we're trusting that he's gone before us. And on the day of accountability, it won't be a sad day. It will be a joyous day because we trusted our Savior. And we were weak and we made mistakes and he was okay with that. He understood. We stepped out. We used what he gave us for his glory and to build up the body and accomplish God's mission. Everything he's given us is for him. Not that we be comfortable, but that we invest in the kingdom and in heaven. We each play a part. When we find that part, and we're all working together, man, the picture is beautiful. Beyond our imagination, and God's work is accomplished. That's what it means to be in the body of Christ. Father, thank you for your investment into us and your grace to us. I ask that all of us would feel your love. We know you today. We trust in you today. I ask that those who don't, God, that you would convict their heart, that they'd start to explore this. God, we love you so much. Please help us take what you've given us and use it for your glory and for the kingdom of God. And we will return thanks to you because we know that that's a day we're going to look forward to when we get to stand before you and, and, and you get to see how you have accomplished your work through us. And uh, just thank you for that opportunity. We ask that you'd help us all find what we need to do and take that next step forward. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.